want to talk this morning briefly, but I, I, I really hope it'll help you. Because we always are going through things. We're always uh, dealing with things, if you will. And if you don't decide anything after today, I, I want you to decide not to quit. I want you to decide that you're not going to quit. Now, there's some things that are worth quitting, but there are other things that are worth holding on to till the bitter end. In our lives, so many times, uh, we, we, we lose sight of the fact that God himself knew you before you were formed. He, he knew everything about you. He knew what you were going to be like. He knew what you would enjoy. He knew what your desires would be. Uh, he actually gives you desires, the Bible says. He will give you the desires of your heart. He will inject into you something that you will desire. Uh, but sometimes we lose sight of the fact that he literally knew you before you were formed. Now, this is critical uh, to remember, but it's also critical to remember this. He didn't just know you then. Listen, he knows you now. He knows everything you're going through. He knows all of the areas of your life where it would be great if he would get involved in. He knows all the things that, you, that you're going through. Some of you, you may have a, a, a getting into a test week at school and you may have three tests the same day and you're sitting there trying to figure out, does, does, what is God mad at me? These three professors, do they, do they work for the devil? Why are they giving me three tests the same day? And you can't figure it out. Let me just tell you, God knows your situation. The Bible says that he knows you so well that he knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows every single thing about you. Now, this is important to remember. And sometimes we think about it like, yeah, he knows me. He knows what makes me tick. He knows all those other things. But can I just say this? And this might be just a little bit scary. So, so just kind of buckle your seatbelt. If we had a seatbelt, now would be the time to do it because we might be about to hit some turbulence. Listen, he knows all of your struggles and he knows all of your weaknesses he knows all of your issues and you're at church on a Sunday morning which means you don't necessarily think you don't have issues you understand that you do have issues but you serve a God who is the only way the only way that we can begin to deal with any of the areas of our life where we need to grow where we need to have improvement it, the only chance we have in the world is who he has made us to be that's the only chance we've got so our issues are, are not a surprise to God, and that's a powerful thing. When you realize, you know, God knows all the good things about me. He knows all the characteristics that he placed on the inside of me, but he also knows all of the areas that I struggle with. And get this, he still loves you. He still wants to use you. He still wants to see you succeed. He still wants to see the blessing of God overtake you. He still wants to use you for His kingdom. But we've got to get to the place where we recognize there's nothing you can hide from God. So the, the, every minute that we've ever spent trying to hide a thing from God is in vain because He knows you. I mean, He doesn't kind of know you. He knows you. He also knows that you are not the same person you were 10 years ago. You're not the same person you were five years ago. And some of you, depending on if you've taken your medication, you're not the same person you were five minutes ago. <laughs> Just kidding. Not the same person five years ago. And, and, and just because 
you're not good at something when you first try does not mean you shouldn't try again. When you learn to ride a bicycle, you might or might not have fallen the first time or two. But if you stop there, you're as good as you'll ever be at riding a bicycle. God has not only just called you, He's not only saved you, but God has uh, commissioned you to be an ambassador in the kingdom of God. Everybody say, ambassador. An ambassador in the kingdom of God. That means it's your job to tell people about Jesus. It's your job to tell people about who He is. It's your job to tell people about the house of God and how important it is to come to church and how important it is to be built up on your most holy faith and to have all these wonderful things. This is our job, but, but you don't have to be good at it to be effective. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't get good at it, but you don't have to be an expert to get started. I remember when I was in college and I was so fervent for the Lord and I had such a desire to win and witness, uh, win people to God and witness to people. I also had a bit of a, uh, I would call it like a competitive streak. So I preferred to witness to people that wanted to argue with me more than I preferred to witness to people that did not want to argue with me. So I would want to witness to people that were like a staunch atheist or, or a staunch Muslim or, or had some other issue because I just wanted to chop the whole thing up and, and tell them exactly how it was. And I had this one friend of mine, and, and he, he was you know, kind of middle of the road into some other things, and he's still a good friend of mine today, by the way. Uh, but he, he began to tell me, uh, we were, we, I was trying to witness to him, I was telling him, I was like, man, look, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets the Father but by Him. Uh, uh, knock and the door will be open. Uh, ask and you'll receive. Jesus is, is the best thing that ever happened. He's the only way to heaven. And anything else, you're just wrong, okay? And that was my version of witnessing. And he tells me, he says, well, my dad told me this, this, and this. Are you telling me that my dad's a liar? Now, I had, like, let's just say three options that I could have said whenever he told me that. Option one would have been, well, brother, you know what? Let's just pray about that. I don't want to worry too much about what your dad said. I just want to worry what this Bible says. I think that would have been a positive response and still held fast uh, my confession of faith. Option number two, we'll call it B. B could have been, well, you know, I don't know uh, about your dad, but what I do know is uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. So anything that's contrary to that, I personally don't believe. Again, doesn't, doesn't mess with my confession of faith, but probably wouldn't have been, you know, outlandishly audacious in his face. The third option that I could have said could have been, well, absolutely your dad is a liar, and if you listen to him, you're going to burn in hell. <laughs> Can I just say this? I didn't give him A and B. <laughs> and, and so I tell him, and I'm all fervent about it. I'm like, I tell you what, your dad is a liar. And I tell you that. And I watch this guy, and look, I, you ever seen those cartoons where somebody's face just begins to turn red? His whole face started turning red, and his ears, start, smoke starts boiling out. And he wads up his fists, and he turns sideways like he's going to hit me. And I said, you listen to me. I said, you might hit me, but you better know I'm not ready to turn the other cheek yet. <laughs> And it was just one of those things. But, but I know, now looking back, terrible approach. Couldn't have been worse. But even out of that, we're still friends over the years. 
we had more and more conversations. We prayed together. We began to... But, but, but what I'm saying is, if you're as good at something today as you were 20 years ago, meaning you haven't improved at all, I question how often you're doing it. So for me, you don't have to be phenomenal at it to be effective at it. You just have to be willing Everywhere in Christianity requires risk. The only areas of Christianity that do not are passive Christianity, which God never called you to be passive. He never called you. It does not say uh, uh, go into all the world and make sure everybody agrees with you. No, no, you're going to see things on TV. God help us. There's, There's not a candidate up there that we have an opportunity to vote for that, that's anything like Jesus. So it's not going to be them, okay? It's not going to be the, your, your favorite news media. It's not going to be your favorite sports star. It's not going to be your favorite celebrity that puts pictures of nothing but uh, roses and, and, and everything's wonderful in their life. It's not going to be any of these things. No, the Bible says that we are to make disciples, which means we need to give people the opportunity to choose Jesus, but we need to do it very wise. So this morning, the only thing I want you to think about is that you're not going to quit. Amen? Come on, give me a big amen. amen. Perfect. Number one. Everybody say number one. You are not what you have done. We've all done things. We've all dropped the ball. But you are not what you have done. You are not what the enemy is trying to remind you of in your past. You are not what the enemy is trying to constantly put in front of your memory that you've done. No, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he says, He who did not know sin, Jesus, who never sinned, became sin so that you and me might become the righteousness of God in Christ, in Him, the righteousness of God. If God says you are the righteousness of God in Christ, We're not going to argue with it. We are not what we've done. We are what He has made us to be. I was watching the Olympics this summer, and uh, I don't like the the long events. I don't like whenever they have like, you know, 500 laps around the thing. I I, I get no entertainment about that. I'm just like, man, tell me who won on SportsCenter. I don't even want to see it. But if they have like a 100-yard dash or a 200, even the 400, I'm in. Because you, you watch somebody and they're giving everything they've got. And USA is always so good in those events. And, and there was uh, the competition for the 4 by 100 relay for the women came up. And the women were, they were slated to win it. They were favorites. It was going to be phenomenal. And, and whenever they, they, they all got ready and they shot the gun and the, the first young lady, she starts running and she's running whatever she can. She can't. And she goes to hand the baton to the next girl and she drops the baton. It falls on the ground and she's immediately wrecked with emotion because uh, in the heat of the moment, they missed the exchange and the baton fell to the floor. Have you ever been in the heat of the moment and you just missed it? 
You just did something you wish you hadn't done. You said something to the person that you love that you wish you hadn't said. You never would have said that uh, to the waitress at Denny's. You never would have said that to the teller that you deal with. You never would have said that to the person at Kroger that's helping you with your groceries. But the person that's close to you, the person that you love, the person you're running your race with, you drop the baton. You say something you wish you hadn't said. That's what they did. They're overwhelmed with emotions and finally one of them uh, gets wise and says, listen, grab that baton and just run to the end of the race. The Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, I press towards the mark for the prize. He said, I run as if to attain. I run trying to win. He says, she said, grab the baton and go. So they grab the baton and go and she runs and they're just barely jogging. They hand it to the next girl. The girl barely jogs, hands it to the last girl. She jog- they're all crying. There's tears everywhere. You got to understand the Olympics only comes around once every four years. Summer Olympics. Every single day, probably since those uh, ladies were four or five years old, they've dreamed about running in the Olympics. They've dreamed about having that gold medal. They dreamed about watching their flag go up. They dreamed about standing uh, when they played the national anthem on top of that pedestal. They dreamed about it. For four years, they've been pr- uh, planning and preparing. Some of them, it was their last opportunity to run in an Olympics, their last chance. For four years, everything about their life was preparing for that moment. And in the moment, they dropped the baton. It fell to the ground. Every meal that they consumed was a meal on purpose to determine how many calories do I need? What do I not need? uh, Shipley's Donuts, is that on the list? Everything, just, just everything was pointing in the right direction to try to get them to that moment. And when the spotlight was brightest... They dropped the baton. In our lives, sometimes we're running our race. We're running with fervor. We're doing what we know to do. Yet we drop the baton and we feel like quitting. Today, all I want you to think about is don't quit. They picked the baton up. They ran to the end. And here's what happened. Upon further review there was the ability for an appeal to be made. And come to find out that the Brazilian runner in the lane next to them interfered with their exchange, which is what caused the baton to fall. And because somebody was watching from the sky, if you will, through the replay, now everything shifted. They had a new opportunity, and not an opportunity like they had before. They had an opportunity where the next morning they cleared the entire track. There's no more competitors. It's just them against the clock. They run the thing. They qualify for the finals, and they win the gold medal because somebody was making intercession for them when they were watching from on high. When you drop the baton, that is the moment when you need to remember Remind yourself, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I have a Redeemer. My Redeemer lives. He sits at the right hand of God the Father, and He is constantly making intercession for me. The Bible says the righteous, listen to me, the righteous, you are the righteous, the righteousness of God in Christ. The righteous fall seven times, but bless God, we don't stay on the ground. We get back up. Don't quit today. Don't quit today. Number one, number one, don't forget under any circumstances, you are not what you have done. 
You are not the decision that you made when you wish you hadn't done it. You are not the decision that you made when you were young. You are not the decision you made five years ago. You are not the decision you made ten years ago. You are not the decision. You are not what you said to somebody in your worst moment. You are not the moment that you dropped the baton. No, before this thing is over, it will be you standing on the victor's uh, podium with the medal around your neck because the Bible says, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph number two number two god wants to use you right where you are god wants to use you right where you are so many times in our life we get to the place where we we wish or we begin to think when this happens then i will begin to serve god now we never say it that way but we think about it that way when this happens let's just think about it in family terms when my kids, when, when I have this situation handled, then I will have more time with my children. No, sir, no, ma'am, you will not have any more time. You have the time that you have right now. Everybody has 24 hours in a day. Everybody's dealing with a 365-day calendar. You've got to get busy living right now because God wants to use you right where you are. He wants to make absolutely certain that you know that His hand is on you, that He has a plan for your life, but He wants to use you right where you are. I hear this a lot of times in counseling and other and ministry moments and whatnot. I, I just, I'm so sick of, uh, and Christians say these kind of things. We say these kind of things. I'm so sick of the secular world. I'm so sick of working in the secular world. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, you mean to tell me somebody's paying you 40 hours a week to be around a bunch of lost people that you will have more influence over than almost anybody else on the planet will have. You're going to share lunch with them. You're going to share uh, 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 breaks with them. You're going to share stories with them. They're going to know when you have children. You're going to know when they have children. You're going to know when they cough and they're sick. You're going to know, they're going to know when you have an issue. You mean to tell me you have all these opportunities and you're wishing God would use you somewhere else and God's saying, I have positioned you in this moment surrounded by people that I want you to influence, but we've got to open our eyes and realize God wants wants to use you right where you are. Number one, you are not what you did, and what you did does not exclude you, nor does it disqualify you from God being able to use you. On the exact contrary, sometimes the most broken people make the best band-aids. Sometimes the people that have been hurt the most can empathize and understand when they see somebody hurting. I'm not telling you've got to have a crazy testimony. I'm not telling you've got to try everything in the world to know God is good. What I am telling you is don't ever let the devil tell you that what you did is who you are. It is not true and God wants to use you right now. Give God a big hand of praise right there. There's a lady I used to go to church with. Her name is Lurla. She's a sweetheart. And used to, I was on uh, Facebook. I'm not on Facebook anymore. And I'll tell you why I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook anymore because it robbed all my time. I got so sick of my time getting robbed. And the Bible says it this way. The Bible says if your eye offends you, cut, uh, cut it out. The Bible says if your arm offends you, cut it off. So Facebook's not my eye or my arm, but I cut it off because I didn't like the time I was spending on it. So years ago, I made the decision to be off Facebook. But when I was on Facebook, I would post things about the kids, you know, pictures of kids or God's doing something in my life or whatever and it didn't matter when I posted it beyond within 32 seconds and I don't know how she did it but within 32 seconds Miss Lurla Dupree would have liked it put a heart on it put a kiss on it put a check mark on it put a cupid on it and said I know God's using your family glory to God 
She would do it instantly. And if you put a picture of a kid, beautiful kid, looks like an angel. Every single time. Now, Miss Lerla, at the time, she had to have been 80 years old. Maybe 85. I don't know. Her husband, Mr. Bob, he's the one who got me in the prison ministry. He's the one who got me preaching in the prisons over in Walker County. And he, he was one of the people that saw a gift on the inside of me and would encourage me and bring it out of me and said, Brian, I really want you to come in here. These men need to hear what you have to say. And we'd get in there, man, and I'd preach the gospel. And if you've never preached to a captive audience, man, you can really let it fly. So I'm in there preaching, thinking they can't get away anyway. I'll just preach what I want to preach. So I'm preaching. We're laying hands on people. People are getting healed. It's powerful. Deliverance is just unbelievable. All because Mr. Bob saw something in me and said, I want to help, uh, I want to help nurture and pull that gift out of you. And then uh, Miss Lerla, she couldn't go into the men's prison. She couldn't do all those things. But what she could do is she could get on that computer, and every time she saw anybody, she would be offering encouragement. Every time she saw any, somebody said, Oh, pray for me. I, I'm going for a job interview. 30 seconds later, in Jesus' name, I just know you've got favor with God. Man, it's going to be wonderful. Cupid heart, smiley face, check mark like. Miss Lerla was like the Facebook genie. She knew everything there was to know about everybody that posted anything on Facebook, and she constantly was encouraging. One day I was talking to Mr. Bob. We were on the way to the prison. And I, I said, man, I said, I tell you what. I said, Miss Lerla, she's on that computer. And he said, yeah, that's her current ministry. And I thought, doggone. He said, she can't get out and do what she used to do. She can't. And she told me, he told me about three things she used to like to do. And she couldn't do it anymore. He said, but she can be on that computer. In other words, God wants to use you exactly where you are. Number three, everybody say number three. Your most effective weapons come from unexpected places. So don't despise the season you're in. Your most effective weapons come from unexpected places. So don't despise the season you're in. In our Bible, we have a hero named David. David was a great warrior. He was bad news for a lot of people, but he was great news for God and God's people. Whenever he was a young boy, he was anointed to be the next king of Israel after the first king, whose name was Saul. But he was out uh, tending his sheep whenever he actually uh, heard the news and was anointed to be king. He would tend his father's sheep, and later on in life, he would fight a giant. And he didn't fight a giant with a sword. He didn't fight a giant with a, a spear. He didn't fight a giant with a bazooka. He fought the giant with a sling and a stone. Now, I oftentimes think about things in environments that I'm familiar with. David was a young boy, and in, those day, in that day and age, he was a shepherd, which means he probably grew up around the sheep, which means he probably grew up around all the things that sheep did, and sheep really only do four things. Sheep uh, eat, they drink, they get rid of what they've eaten and drinking, and then they also uh, make other sheep. But sheep are somewhat of a boring thing to watch. They're somewhat of a mundane thing. So I, I could picture it maybe happening like this. They, David's daddy's name was Jesse. And Jesse had a bunch of boys, but I, I could picture old David one day uh, coming in from, from, from tending the sheep and about to sit down for dinner, and Jesse saying, hey, Dave, I went by academy today. 
He, and Dave going, oh, Academy, that's my favorite store, Dad. I love that place. They got the paintball guns. They got all kind of stuff. I love Academy. They got basketballs and footballs, and, and I just love Academy. And I really, man, Dad, they got these slingshots there. These slingshots, not like regular slingshots. I'm talking about like, you know, big boy slingshots, you know, like totally awesome slingshots. I wish I had one of those slingshots, and I could just picture Jesse going, I'm so proud of the way you've been tending those sheep. I'm so proud of the fact that you've done what I've asked you to do. Let me show you what I've gotten you. And he probably pulled out the the Slingshot A2000 Model B from 2016. Pulls it out and says, check out this slingshot. This is not regular leather, David. This is big-time leather. This is not a regular sling, David. You're going to love this sling. He goes, Daddy, I know everything there is to know about that sling. He takes the sling. He says, Daddy, can I, can I go use it right now? He goes, you got to finish your dinner. So he boom, 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 he eats his dinner. And he goes outside, and he immediately comes back in, and he says, Dad, he says, I got my sling. He says, where's my ammo? No, baby, I'll provide the sling. You provide the ammo. David says, huh, okay. Now, I put this in context because I have a son. I have a little boy who's about the age when you would give one a slingshot. Now, uh, I don't know if he has a slingshot or not, but what I do know is uh, we've given him several different things. For instance, uh, a pocket knife. Now, if, if you're a little boy and you're from where we're from, which is the country, a pocket knife to a little boy is like a million dollars, okay? They, they, it's just phenomenal, right? Like I remember when I was a little boy, when my dad gave me my first pocket knife, it was like just crazy, awesome, amazing. So uh, my little boy, he, he gets his pocket knife, and, and what he'll do sometimes is he'll put it in his pocket, and then you'll know if he's got it, because sometimes he's walking around like this. He's holding that knife in his pocket like that. And I can picture little David, uh, uh, maybe his daddy gave him a sling, maybe he gave, gave him that slingshot, and he tied it around his, his belt like that, and he says, now David, you need to go out there, and you still got to tend the sheep, don't, don't be just playing with your slingshot all day, you still got to tend the sheep, yes sir, and he's got it tied real tight to his, to his sling, and maybe he, he had the, the pouch that came with it, so he's got his pouch over here, and he's walking, and I bet every second or third step, he's sitting there just making sure, okay, the slingshot's still there, good, and he's walking all the way, he's like, okay, yeah, my slingshot's still there, good, oh yeah, yeah, my slingshot's still there, good, and he's just holding that slingshot because I used to be the same way matter of fact I'm still the same way I walk around just holding whatever I like I'm just sitting there holding David's holding his slingshot just walking out in the field getting ready to do what his dad told him to do as a side note we're at dinner the other day I think it was dinner and Walker Lee walks up to me and says dad I said what buddy he says I have six knives in my pocket right now (laughs) six knives in your pocket he said you never know when you might need them and he walked off like this (laughs) I said, son of a gun. So David's got his, his sling, and he gets out to where the sheep are, and he gets the sheep to where they're going to feed for the afternoon, and he sits under a cool shade tree, and he sits down, and he goes, man, I, I can't wait to try my slingshot out. And he starts trying, and he picks up some old rough rocks, and he puts them in the sling, and he tries to throw it, and he tries to hit the tree that he's aiming at, and he can't hit it. And he goes, man, these rough rocks don't work nearly as good. So then he finds some real smooth stones. All of a sudden, he starts getting where he can hit the tree one out of ten times and two out of ten times. Now, years later, it's ten out of ten times he can hit the tree because he was using a weapon that his father provided him in a season when he didn't know how much he was going to need it in the future. Your weapons that you are most effective with come from unexpected places. Another time, same David, right after he killed Goliath, 
which was the first giant that he killed. He killed several, but the first giant that he killed, uh, he's, he, he hits him with the stone out of his sling. Then the Bible says he actually takes Goliath's sword. Years later, Saul would be pursuing David, trying to kill him. And David found Saul's sword where he had left it and was able to have defense because of a weapon he had picked up in an unexpected place. Number one, you are not what God says you are. Excuse me, you are not what you've done. You are what God says you are. Number two, God wants to use you right where you are. And number three, don't despise the season you're in. You have no idea the weapon that you are picking up that is critical to your future. Give God a strong hand of praise right there. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, we overcome with a two-part recipe. The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Testimony just literally means testifying of what God has done in the past. If you want success in the future, one of the keys to overcoming in the future is a testimony from your past. I'm not here to tell you that every day is going to be a test, that every day is going to be a trial, that every day is going to be difficult, because that's not the case. But when those days come, when the trials come, you press on, because in the middle of that valley, you're grabbing weapons that you're going to use in the future. You're grabbing weapons that you're going to be effective with in the future. Number four, don't quit today. I don't want to talk about next week. I don't want to talk about next month. I don't want to talk about next year. I want to talk about today. Don't quit today. Decide before your feet hit the ground in the morning if the devil himself shows his face, I'm still not quitting today. Well, what about tomorrow? I'm not going to rob tomorrow's sorrow for today because when the sun comes up tomorrow, it will be today, and I'm not quitting today. I've already decided what I'm going to do. Oh, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it. I don't know exactly how it's all going to work out, but what I do know is he who began a great work in me is going to complete it, so I'm just not quitting today. I'm not what I did. I know everybody wants to call me that. I know everybody wants to say that's the way it is. I know everybody wants to act like nobody can change. But I'm here to tell you, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm not what I did. God can use me right now. And even in the season that I don't understand, I'm picking up weapons that are going to be critical for my future. So as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I'm just not going to quit today. When the sun goes down today, I will not have quit. I will not have stopped. I will not have grown weary in well-doing because I know that in the right time, in the right moment, I'm going to reap. I'm going to see the victory. I'm just not going to quit today. I've just decided that today, I don't want to talk about next week. I don't want to talk about next month. This will work in your marriage too, by the way. This will work in the relationship with your children too, by the way. 
This will work when you're going to school and you're trying to figure out how am I going to make it through this semester with all this stuff piling up on me. I'm just not going to quit today. I'm just not going to stop today. I'm just not going to get, I might get tired, but he gives rest. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get so bogged down that I were to throw in the towel today. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to quit today. One of the great guys in our Bible that we read about is a man named Samson. Uh, you guys may have heard of him. He, he grew his hair real long and he had supernatural strength. And he had just a real speckled life, to say the least. Uh, at one point, he wanted to marry a Philistine uh, young lady. And, and, and at that time, uh, his parents didn't approve. But they finally said, okay, fine, whatever, let's do it. And, and he goes to marry her, and, and while they're at the uh, wedding ceremony, uh, he decides he needs to gamble a little bit. So he starts gambling. He starts doing this riddle. And, 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 and all of a sudden, his, his fiancée betrays him, and he loses the, the, he loses the bet. And he's got to pay all these fine linens and all these different things, and it's just squandering him. And, and the Bible says that uh, he got real frustrated with it, and, and he left. And what happened was, is in his absence, get this, we're talking about a bad wedding, the best man married the bride. Now, I've been to some wild weddings. I, walked, I went to one wedding one time, and, and there was a, the, the dad was walking the, the, the girl down the aisle, and no joke, the guy had two six-shooters shoved in, his, in, his, in the back of his belt right there. And I thought, what, what is happening here? And then the, the groomsmen come down, and he's got one shoved in his. And then the next groomsman, and all these guys have got guns. And I'm like, am, am I the only one not armed in here? What is happening? But that pales in comparison to, okay, uh, here's the bride, here's everybody. Where's the groom? No worries, I'll step in. That is not a best man. That is like a worst man. He lost his wife to his best man. He was going on a trip with his parents. He was walking down the road and a lion tried to kill him. And he took the lion and the Spirit of God came on him and he ripped the lion in half. Later on he comes by the lion and there's a bunch of bees and some honeycomb. And he turns into Winnie the Pooh and he starts eating the honey right out of that lion. He's got just, just a speckled life. Other times they would try to do things to him. And at one point he grabbed the donkey's jawbone. And the Bible says, with that donkey's jawbone, the Spirit of the Lord came on him and he killed a thousand Philistines. With a donkey's jaw. Samson was very, very, very unique. But towards the end of what we know about him, right before he died, he was uh, infatuated with another lady. And three different times the lady tried to trick him, tried to convince him to tell her uh, what it was that, that made him so strong. What did God recognize in him? And he didn't tell her what was honest. And three different times she tried to trick him. And he got up and broke away. And then one time, the Bible says that she was crying and says, oh, you don't want to tell me what makes you so strong. And the Bible says that uh, he laid his head in her lap. Because really sin doesn't come at you with a flamethrower. Sin just wants you to rest its head, rest your head in its lap long enough that you'll go to sleep. So it can cut away what's important to you. So she cuts his hair off because he finally told her, well, if I get my hair cut, then I'm going to lose my strength. 
And what was interesting was is he had taken a Nazarite vow, which we don't have any context of now today, but it was basically a vow or a set of promises that certain people would do to try to uh, uh, prove how committed they were to God. So a handful of the, of, the, of the vow would be never to get your hair cut. One would be not to drink any wine, uh, not to drink any alcohol. Another part of it would be not to, drink, not to eat any grapes at all. So nothing from a grapevine, which means uh, Samson, he had never tasted a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He had only had a peanut butter sandwich. How hard could life really be? So this whole time, he's sitting there, and his life is just up and down and up and down and up and down. And he's got all these different vows. Another big one was this. You couldn't touch anything dead. If your family member died, you couldn't be a pallbearer in the funeral. You couldn't help prepare the body for burial. You couldn't touch the carcass of an animal. But the Bible says that he tore a lion apart and then later came back to the carcass and ate honey from the lion, which was completely against his Nazarite vow, which I'm not here to pick on Samson, but he wasn't very good at keeping his vow. But God is very good at keeping his vows, his promises. You're not what you did. God wants to use you right now. You'll grab your weapons in the most unusual places, unexpected, and decide that we're not going to quit today. Samson goes on about his life, and, and whenever they, they come and she cuts his hair and they, they arrest him and they, they, they poked his eyeballs out and they put him in prison and he began to be a grinder in prison. The Bible said he ground the mill. He would walk around and push the stone that would grind the mill. And uh, uh, they decided one day that they were going to make fun of him. So there was 3,000 people, the Bible says, in an area and they were going to bring him out. He's blind, so they probably got him by a rope. And the Bible says in verse 26 of Judges 16, Samson said unto the guy that held him, the guy that was carrying him, Suffer me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house stands, that I might lean on them. Meaning, let me just lean on the pillars. I can't see anything. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there, and there were upon the roof 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. They were all making fun of Samson. 3,000 Philistines. And Samson called unto the Lord, and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines who took my two eyes out. Samson took hold of the middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up of the one with his right hand and the other with his left. Can you picture that? Somebody standing like this. I... I can picture somebody else who kind of had their arms outstretched. And the Bible goes on to say, And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. He pushed with everything he had. And the house fell upon the lords, all the rulers, upon the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Don't get hung up on the life and death here. What I want you to hear is his latter part was greater than his former part. Even though all the places 
where we can see that he broke the vow, yet God was still using him. You are not what you have done. The Bible says that the donkey's jawbone that he used, in the King James Version, it says it was a new jawbone or raw. It had just been taken out of the donkey. Which means even when God was using him, he had broken his vow. The very fact that he was touching the carcass of that dead donkey means he was breaking his vow to God, yet God still had his hand on him. I'm not encouraging you to break a vow to God. I'm not encouraging you to ignore God's laws or promises. What I'm here to tell you is simple. You are not what you have done. You are not the mistake you made. You are not the poor decision you made. You are not the, the bad idea that you followed. You are not the failed business that didn't work. You are not the first relationship that didn't work. You are not the first 10 years and now the relationship's not where, it, not where you wish it was and you wish it was. You're not any of those things. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. And before it's over, you're going to have the victory because in all of the seasons, of trouble and trial and issues you're picking up weapons that only you know how to use you're picking up weapons that only you are positioned to use you're picking up weapons that before it's over are going to be so effective in your life the devil would have wished he never knocked on your door because if God has left you breathing you still have something to do and the hand of God is not slow nor is he slack and before the book is written in your life you're going to have victory on all fronts but you are not what you did. And let me just say this too. Even when we do good, we are not our own righteousness. We are the righteousness found in Him. Because the problem is when we do things right, and it's wonderful to do things right, and we should try to the best of our ability. If we allow ourselves to begin to feel the, the righteousness that comes with that, we'll put the word in front of it that's necessary, the self-righteousness. Now, when the spotlight gets brightest and you're running with all your might and you drop the baton, you'll begin to believe the lie of the devil that says, see, I told you you couldn't do it. I told you you couldn't make it. When in reality, it's His ability that positions us in the first place and not our own. Give God a big, strong hand of praise. Matter of fact, stand to your feet if you would. Old Samson was a good guy. But he wasn't great at keeping his vows. Aren't you glad we serve a God who does? Have you ever said something like this? God, if you'll deliver me, if you'll do this for me, I'll never do this, this, and this again, ever. And then a week goes by, <laughs> and you do it again. Listen, he is closest, the Bible says, to the brokenhearted. He stays near and dear to us when we can't stay near and dear to him. So all through this week, I want you to wake up every day and say, well, I'm just not going to quit today. Bow your head and close your eyes, please.